Good morning. If you have found this podcast, it is because Jesus brought you here. He wants you to hear something I'm about to say because I am not tagging this and I'm not advertising this. I am just putting it out there and I'm going to let the Lord bring who he wants to bring. So if you're listening to this today, pay attention. I'm going to say something that Jesus needed you to hear. I'm first going to walk you through salvation and what that looks like and what it means. And I'm going to read it off of the Billy Graham site because he says it way better than anything I'm going to say. So I'm going to read this to you. Are you ready? Okay. First, all are sinners and stand under the judgment of God. That's actually true. That's really true. And though it sounds like a downer, it's really not because it got fixed. Okay. Quote, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that is Romans chapter 323. I'm going to say Romans 323. And you're going to know that that means the book of Romans chapter 3 verse 23. Okay. So all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It is true. There is no one that has not sinned. It's true. Except Jesus. He was the only one. We might believe we are good enough to win God's favor. Have you ever said I'm a good person? Or that we can perform certain religious acts to counterbalance our bad deeds. But the Bible states that we are all condemned for, quote, there is no one righteous, not even one. And that's Romans 3.10. I know that a lot of religions out there, you have to earn your salvation by doing prayers, uh, by doing penance, by doing different things. No, it's just no. The Bible itself states that we are all condemned and that salvation is a gift from God. We will get there. We will get there. Second, we need to understand what Christ has done to make our salvation possible. God loves us. God created you and he loves you and he wants you back in heaven. Christ came to make forgiveness and salvation possible. What did he do? He died on the cross as the complete sacrifice for our sins. He took upon himself the judgment that we deserve. Now, this gets really cool when you look into the Old Testament. You know, they were always doing sacrifices, right? They were sacrificing um, all kinds of animals to propitiate uh, or to atone for sin. They were always doing that. That they were all rehearsals looking forward to something that was going to come. But it was going to come, you know, a thousand years down the road. And then Jesus comes and he's the final sacrifice. He's the last one. And in that one, all the Gentiles, all the people who aren't Jewish, they're all included in that too because he died for the sins of the world. That's John 3.16. He died for everybody. That death on the cross covered all of us, whoever, whoever decides to step in to salvation and let, let that be the atonement for my sins. That's what he did on the cross. When he died on the cross, the really thick curtain that separate that was in the Jewish temple and it separated the, um, the Holy of Holies, which is where the ark sat, uh, from the rest of the temple, that huge thick curtain, it ripped in two and there's no way to fix that. And symbolic of there is now no nothing between God and his people. Jesus is the only thing between God and his people. 
you can now go to the throne of God. If you're in Christ, you can go to the throne of God. So it was really awesome what he did. Third, we need to respond to God's work. God, in his grace, offers us the gift of eternal life. But like any gift, it becomes ours only when we take it. So what do we do? We must repent of our sins. Repentance carries with it the idea of confession, sorrow, turning, and changing. We cannot ask forgiveness over and over again for our sins and then return to those sins expecting God to forgive us. We must turn from our practice of sin as best we know how and turn by faith to Christ as our Lord and Savior. Quote, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And that's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Christ invites us to come to him as God has promised, quote, to all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that's John 1, 12. Okay, that's all really good information. It's not just a prayer. It's not a poem that you read. It's not, a, it's not four sentences in a paragraph that you read. This is about the heart. It's about repentance. It's about recognizing that I don't want to live my life like it was anymore. I am done with this old life, and I'm turning to, I'm turning to Jesus. I'm going to let Jesus drive the car now. I'm going to let him take the wheel of my life. He drives. I follow him. It's a turning. It's a changing. It's not just repeating the words of a prayer. Okay? Fourth, we must understand the cost of coming to Christ and following Christ. Jesus constantly called upon those who would follow him to count the cost. A person must determine to leave his sins behind and turn from them. Some people may be unwilling to do so. And there may be other costs as well when we decide to follow Christ. In some cultures, a person who turns to Christ may be disowned by their family, alienated from social life, imprisoned, or even killed. Those who are persecuted in the name of Christ receive crowns. They, but they, are, they are of a higher level in heaven than I will be if I'm never persecuted by Christ. It is just near and dear to his heart for those that go through what he went through while he was here and they do it for him. It is near and dear to his heart. It's precious to him. The ultimate cost of true discipleship is the cost of renouncing self, self-will, self-plans, self-motivations. Christ is to be the Lord of our lives. Jesus declared, quote, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's Luke 9.23. Jesus does not call us to a life of selfish comfort and ease. He calls us to battle. It is a battle. It is true. Only he helps us win. He fights for us. So it's, it's not as scary as it seems. He calls us to give up our own plans and to follow him without reserve, even to death. Right? Got that? And it's not a horrible thing. It's not a horrible thing. Yes, it costs to follow Christ, but it also costs not to follow Christ. It costs the Apostle Paul the prestige of a high-level position in the Jewish nation, which is true. He gave that up. 
But he declared, quote, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And that's Philippians 3, 7, 8. Now, how can Paul say that? How does he say that? Because he is in a relationship with Jesus. He is talking to Jesus all the time. He's friends with Jesus now. And this is possible for every Christian. It just depends on the amount of time you put into it. It just depends on the amount of time you put into it. But once you get to know Jesus on a personal level, you would say the same thing. My whole life I have wasted compared to the joy and peace and amazing things that I see happening now with Jesus. I, uh, my whole life, was, I was just saying that this morning in prayer. I have wasted 51 years um, in, in uh, misery and fear and depression. I've wasted so much of it compared with the amazing time that I have with Jesus in prayer now. Uh, it's, it's true, but it's relationship. It's relationship. Christ calls men and women not only to trust him as Savior, but also to follow him as Lord. Now, this is something we don't really do in this world anymore. We don't, we don't have kings that we actually bow down to. Um, I don't know. Maybe they do in some countries, but I don't know. We don't really do this anymore. So it's, it's odd to our way of thinking that I would bow down to somebody. Um, and my friend asked me, isn't that arrogant of God to want everybody to bow down? And my answer was this. If he were just a guy calling himself God, then yeah, that would be pretty arrogant. But if it's actually God who has all wisdom, all power, all glory, who is all loving all the time, then you would want to bow down to him because he's so awesome, which makes sense. That's true. Fifth, salvation is intimately linked to the cross. The man who hung there between two thieves was without sin. He never sinned. That was part of the deal. He, the, the one person who never sinned could defeat Satan in, in, in some ways. And no one else had ever done it. Jesus was the only one that could do it. God wrote himself into the story of, of history here on earth. He wrote himself into the story so he could save us all. Isn't that cool? His virgin birth, which is true, by the miraculous intervention of the Holy Spirit, which is true, meant that he did not inherit a sinful human nature. Neither did he commit any sin during his lifetime. Mary gave birth to the only perfect child. He became the only perfect man, and as such, he was uniquely qualified to put into action God's plan of salvation for mankind. Did he know what he was going to do? Yes, I believe that he knew what he was called to do. I do believe that. Can I prove it? No. Why was Calvary's cross? Why is it Calvary? That's the name of uh, the place where he was hung. That's the name of the place where the cross was. It was called Calvary. Why was Calvary's cross so special, so different from hundreds of other crosses used for Roman executions? It was because on that cross, Jesus suffered the punishment for sin that we all deserve. He was our substitute. 
Just like all of those sacrifices in the Old Testament, that animal was a substitute. They laid their hands on the animal's head and thereby transferring their sin to this animal. And then the animal would be killed. It was nothing against the animal. It was a rehearsal for this moment on the cross. It was this moment on the cross where he took all of the sin and he paid the price for that sin. He suffered the judgment and condemnation of death that our sinful nature and deeds deserve. Quote, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that's 2 Corinthians 5.21. What does that mean? We become the righteousness of God. When God looks at us now, he sees me through the death of Christ. He sees me through the blood. We say the blood of Christ. Um, and he sees, I got, I got righteousness. It's a blood covenant. Jesus was a blood covenant, which again goes back to the old Testament, but it matters in a blood covenant. What's mine is yours. And what's yours is mine. Uh, marriage is a blood covenant. Um, unfortunately, sex is a blood covenant. Um, and, and many people are out there walking around with blood covenants with people they don't even know anymore or people they never knew. And what's and spiritually, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine because we have entered into a blood covenant. And that's actually really sad. And it, you can break it in the name of Jesus. You can break those uh, with, repent, with real repentance and real confession uh, to the Lord. So in this blood covenant with Jesus... He transferred his righteousness to me, and I transferred my sins to him. What a great deal, huh? <laughs> that great deal. So that's that blood covenant. So when we give Jesus our lives and we choose to follow him and give him our hearts and make him Lord of our life, my sins transfer to him on that cross, and they're forgiven. They're forgiven. Um, and then his righteousness transfers over to me. God now sees me as righteous. And I didn't earn it. I didn't do anything because I can't. I can't possibly ever be righteous. I'm just too sinful. I can't do it. So I'm so grateful that Jesus went to the cross and now God sees me as righteous. Now, does that mean I can sin forever and I never have to ask forgiveness? No, I still sin. It is still a wedge between me and God in our relationship. And I still have to go back and repent. And say, I'm sorry I did that. Please forgive me. And it's over. And it's done. Please forgive me. It is over. He forgives me again. Because that blood covenant is still speaking on my behalf. Isn't that great? It's really great. Okay, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. That's the book of Corinthians. Quote, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's 1 Corinthians 2.2. Paul knew that there was a built-in power in the cross and the resurrection. Um, And then Billy Graham tells a story. I remember a meeting early in my ministry when I walked away from where I was preaching, disheartened and disappointed. A businessman who was with me asked if I knew what was wrong, and I couldn't put my finger on it until he told me, Billy, he said, you didn't preach the cross. 
He was right. The message had been theologically sound, and I had preached it as best I knew how. But the vital ingredient was missing. I learned my lesson. From that day to this, I have never preached an evangelistic message without pointing the listeners to the cross. Because nothing, this is me now, nothing can be solved without the cross. There's nothing I can do with my sin if you don't tell me about Jesus in the cross. I just have to sit in it. There's no way to get rid of my sin without Jesus in the cross. Okay, finally, faith is essential for salvation. Faith. This is really big. Listen to this. But we must be we must be absolutely clear on what we mean when we speak of, quote, salvation by faith. There are various kinds of belief or faith, and they're not all linked to salvation. In the New Testament, faith means more than intellectual belief. It involves trust and commitment. I may say that I believe a bridge will hold my way, but I really believe it only when I commit myself to it and walk across it. Saving faith involves an act of commitment and trust in which I commit my life to Jesus Christ and him alone as my Savior and Lord. This is one of the reasons why I read this because I wouldn't, this was so good. It's so good. And my here's my little short personal testimony. I did pray the prayer. I prayed the prayer and nothing changed. I didn't feel any different. And then I was talking to a girl and uh, I was saying, I don't feel any different at all. I was so far from any God or Jesus or anything. I was so far away. There was actually um, animosity toward God in my life. So I, I knew I was miserable. Somebody told me to pray this prayer. I prayed the prayer. I didn't feel any different. I figured I should feel different, right? So I'm telling her, I don't feel different. And she said, well, you know, the Christian life is like 10% mountaintop experience and 90% work. To which my heart responded, I'm out. Because life is hard enough and I don't need, I don't need more of this. I don't need life to get harder. I thought he was supposed to make it better. And I said in my heart, I'm out. Do you see where my heart was? That's why just saying the words, praying a prayer doesn't work because it's a heart thing. It's not a prayer thing. It's a heart thing. So that kept working on me because I, I knew I wanted God somehow. I knew that he was the only answer. I just didn't know why or how. But I, I knew I was miserable in my life. I was in my 20s. I was miserable. Um, and so I was, I was driving down the road, and I still remember where I was um, in Grapevine, Texas. I still remember and I, it's like I had these, you know, the devil and the angel on my shoulders and I was arguing in my head and the devil was saying, this is stupid. This whole thing is stupid. If you, you can pray this prayer to God and you can give your life to God or whatever, whatever you're thinking of doing. But when you die, you're going to find that everyone just becomes a ghost and everybody is, is floating around and they're all going to laugh at you. That's, that's exactly what I heard in my head. They're all going to laugh at you when you wake up dead and you're a ghost and they're all going to go, ha, 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 you thought it was Jesus. That was, that was the argument. <laughs> and then on the other side, I thought, well, there's that. But, on, but if, God, if the God stuff is true, that means hell is true. And I would rather be laughed at if I'm wrong than go to hell if this whole thing is right. I mean, that's just too big of a gamble. Hell is too big of a gamble if it's true. Because for the longest time, I would say, well, I don't believe in heaven or hell. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter what I believe. It is true or it is not, right? 
So if it's not true, you better be right. If you're going to walk around with the firm belief that there's no hell after you die, you had better be right or you're going there. That was too big of a gamble for me. So in that moment in my car, I said this, okay, God, to this time, I choose to trust you. I choose to trust that what you have said is true. That moment, my life started changing. I started feeling more happiness and more peace. I started note things were jump things would jump off the pages in the Bible when I would read it. Um, things would jump across when I'm listening to Christian music. Uh, I'm t- re- surround yourself with Christian items. That is what the Lord will use to talk to you. It'll be a book. Make sure it's Christian. It'll be the Bible if you have it. It'll be worship songs. A line will pop out. You'll wake up in the morning with a line of a song running through your head. It doesn't have to be Christian, but I think he uses more Christian things than than other. Surround yourself with Christian stuff, and you will start to hear the Lord because he's talking. You just haven't heard him. It was very hard to hear him before before, um, you gave your life to him. Now that you're one of his, he says, my sheep hear my voice and they know my voice. Now you start learning how to recognize his voice because now you can hear him. Um, Okay, and then Billy gives a personal example. And I like it, so let me read it. Let me use a personal example to illustrate this. When I first met Ruth, my future wife, I began to learn things about her. She's born in China. She was the daughter of medical missionaries and so on. And as time went on, I learned more about her personality and character, and I fell in love with her. But we were not yet married. We became husband and wife only when we took a definite step of commitment to each other on our wedding day. It is the same way. Saving faith is a commitment to Jesus as Savior and Lord. It is a personal and individual decision. It is more than assent to historical or theological truth given to us in God's word. It is faith in the promises of God that all who trust in Christ will not perish but have eternal life, John three sixteen. Okay? So now that we've done all that, I am going to say a prayer. But please know that the prayer is not a magic incantation. If you're going to pray this, there is something deep happening in your heart right now. Maybe you're close to tears. Maybe you're being reminded of just how horrible you've been. This is just a, this is the jumping point to jump into life with Christ. So ready? Dear Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Guide my life and help me to do your will. In your name, Amen. Amen. And if your heart was in that, it is done. That was it. Welcome to the family. You're in. That was it. Because it's not something you have to earn. It is the gift of God. Salvation is a free gift for all those who choose it. And that is it. Does it seem too easy? It, it may seem, it, well, it was really easy. Walking with Jesus can be kind of hard. But we'll get into that as time goes by. So that's the salvation message.
I also want to talk about a few more key points of walking in this Christian life. Um, okay, are you ready? All right, so there's baptism. Baptism. There's baptism in water. I'm not going to get into the theological arguments of baptism in water. I'm just going to say, go do it. Go get baptized. I got baptized in a lake, a dirty lake, (laughs) um, by a a church that really wasn't even following Jesus to the letter. And I didn't know it yet because it was the very first church I ever went to. But there I met someone who showed me how to find the Lord. And I got baptized there. It did not matter who did it. It mattered that the person was a Christian. That mattered a lot. Um, But it was all in my heart, and I couldn't wait to meet Jesus under that water. It is symbolic of going down into death of your old life and your old self and your sins and being raised to new life, just like Jesus was raised after three days. It's symbolic of going down into death and being raised into new life. And I knew that. And when I came out of that water, I knew I was raised into new life. That's what it was for me. There is also baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk about that a little bit. I know people like to argue about this now, but I've experienced it. And so, I don't know, somebody somebody wants to argue to me that the, this is not for today. And I'm just, I'm living it over here. So it's just not true. It's just not true. So I'm just going to read you a couple of things. I'm going to read you a couple of things about baptism in the book of Acts. I'm going to start with Acts 2.37. This is when uh, they've just been, Pentecost has just happened, and all of the people in the upper room were all speaking in different tongues. And some some may say it was gibberish, and some may say it was other languages. Uh, It was definitely other languages because it says that. Um... And so Peter gives a big old sermon, and this is, this is at the end of it. When they heard this, when they heard what Peter said, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what must we do? Repent, Peter said to them, and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, for the forgiveness of your sins. There's, that's what your baptism is about. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. Okay, and that's about baptism and giving your life to Christ. It's for everybody. It was for them. It was for their children. And it was all for all who are far off, who is me, and as many as the Lord will call. And that included me. So that was me. The next one is Acts 11.44. Let me go find it. There's 10. 1140. Wait a minute. Something's wrong. Uh Uh-oh. I did something wrong. Because 1144 is not there. Aw. I wrote it down wrong. Let's go to the next one. 191. Stay with me. I don't mean to bore you. Okay, 19-1. Okay, let's see. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. 
we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what? Then with what baptism were you baptized? He asked them. With John's baptism. They're talking about John the Baptist. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, and that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. See the difference? And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak with other languages and to prophesy. Okay, so there's there's an example. There's a baptism in water and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It can happen at separate times, or it can happen at the same time. But there are other languages that come out. Um, when I pray in tongues, it is for my own edification. I don't do it in public. It is my own edification. And to me, it is a special prayer language that only the Lord can understand. And when I don't know what to pray, I just start praying in tongues. And I, and I, the Holy, I'm just in my mind, the Holy Spirit is praying for me. And, and, and the things that I don't even know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit is praying for me. I didn't even know what to pray. Or if some, if I'm praying for someone else and I don't know what to pray for somebody else, I feel like the, the Holy Spirit, I'm like, just take my mouth and just pray what you need to pray because I don't have the words for this. I find it to be very, very helpful. So there's baptism with water and the Holy Spirit. If you are baptized with somebody that has the Holy Spirit and they know it, then they will know what to do. If you're being baptized by somebody that doesn't believe about baptism in the Holy Spirit or somebody who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, um, then that's up to the Lord whether he wants to give you the Holy Spirit in that moment, um, or it might be a later moment. But again, it is all about your heart and your desire and how you're running after the Lord. He knows. He knows everything. Even though you may not feel him near, he's right there. And he knows your heart. And he's going to leave you a trail of breadcrumbs so you can find the thing that your heart really wants. I promise. I absolutely promise. Don't give up. And then there is worship. There is worship. Uh, Worship is very special to the Lord, and it is a connection directly to Him. When we worship Him, it's like connections open up to the Lord. And not just singing a song, um, but actual worship. If you can um, read some of the Psalms, read the ones that are worshipy. You know, some of them are sad um, or about Israel. And then some of them are just praising the Lord. Find those because what great praise is that? That's really great praise. There are also worship songs. Um, find the ones that focus on Jesus and on God and not the ones that focus on how we feel about everything or what I'm going to do. Try to find the ones that are just straight worship of the Lord or just use your mouth. I praise you. I worship you. I get down on my knees before you. I put everything of mine down and I say, my heart is yours, God. My heart is yours. Do with me as you please. What do you want me to do on this day? What is more important to you than it is to me? When you're praying for other people or countries or whatever you're going to pray for, ask the Lord, what is your heart for this person? Not what I want because we would always want to stop their pain, right? And sometimes there's a purpose in pain. And my prayer is not going to get answered because I'm against God's will. God needed to teach them something through a really hard experience. 
like he does with all of us. So when you're praying for somebody or some a country or something, ask the Lord, what is your heart towards this? I want to pray your heart. And if you don't know, then you pray the Lord's prayer. The Lord's prayer. Um, oh my gosh, why did it just escape my brain? What is the Lord's prayer? How does it start? Um, who is in heaven? Our Father. Oh, that's, I can't believe I just forgot that. Our Father, who is in heaven, blessed and holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on this earth, in this situation, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. And lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil, Lord. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. When I don't know what to pray, I will pray the Our Father. There's nothing better than that. Worship and prayer. Those are those are like the basic foundation of this whole Christian life. And you don't get it in the very beginning. It's like when you're first born, you just focus on feeding. And as you get older, you learn more things. So if you're brand new in the Christian life, you just focus on Jesus. You just read the Bible. You read the New Testament, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where they talk all about his life. And the the podcasts that I'm going to do after this is I'm going to do, I'm going to read through the book of John. And we're just going to go through it together. And we're going to learn all about Jesus and what he did and what he said. So your job right now is just to drink milk. No meat yet if you're brand new. And meat is the deeper things of God. Your job right now is just to learn who Jesus is and what he said. Um, Start praying for people. Start worshiping the Lord. Work on the baptism in water. Ask the Lord for baptism in the Holy Spirit. Um, I will give you an example of me praying in tongues. And this is just me. And you won't. You may not sound like me. This is just me. I learned how to pray in tongues in my backyard because I wasn't in a church that did it. And I heard it was a part of the Christian life and I wanted it. And so I went in the backyard and I prayed and I asked God for it. And I just started making funny sounds. I felt so dumb, but I kept practicing. And then this is where I am today. So I'll pray a quick prayer. And that's just where I've come after all of this time. My sister has told me that while she was praying in tongues, a certain word kept coming out that she didn't know what it was. And she looked it up on the internet and it was a Jewish word and I forgot what it meant, but it was an actual word. And I've heard that from several people as well. A certain word kept coming out. And when they looked it up, it was actually, it was a, it was a Jewish word that they'd never heard before. So it is a thing and you, you do what you're, what the Lord is calling you to do and what is in your heart. Do not get discouraged. Your whole job right now is just to drink milk pure spiritual milk. That's all you need right now is just milk. And we're going to go over, we're going to do, we're going to, we're going to have some milk in the days to come. Congratulations. Welcome to the family. I will see you up in heaven. Goodbye.